0: Life Audio. I worshipped my dad. I just really did as a little girl. I later found out he was a deeply narcissistic person, and so he fed off the worship I gave him as a little girl. And so everything was good as long as I was behaving that way. And again, I didn't know any other way. And so my parents got divorced. I found out he had had several affairs while my parents were married, including some pretty nasty details that I got to witness. And he was a womanizer. He went bankrupt financially. He was a very he was alcoholic, very very deeply. So. A very broken man with a lot of anger, and if you weren't for him, you were against him. And so obviously, we very quickly became against him, especially when I became old enough to see through the masks.
1: Hello, welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where we discuss powerful truths to counter anxiety and fear, big and small. At Holy Love Ministries, we are passionate about helping God's children discover embrace and experience soul deep emotional and spiritual freedom and we want to inspire you to share that freedom with others we would love to connect with you online just visit our show notes to learn about one of our upcoming events how to book one of our speakers for your next event or simply how to connect with us Jennifer Slattery. And had you asked me a couple of years ago, if I carried wounds that negatively affected my ability to trust God, I would have said no. But then I began my healing work, which revealed some of the lies initially buried beneath my awareness, but that hindered my ability to fully rest in Christ's grace. And I wonder if maybe you can relate. We've all experienced pain, broken relationships, rejection, betrayal, sometimes from the very people who are supposed to love us most. And if not addressed and healed by God, those wounds can distort our perceptions and they can cause us to doubt God's heart and promises. My guest, Stephanie Roussel, host of the Gospel Spice podcast, she understands how childhood hurts can challenge our ability to fully trust God, how they can cause us to question whether he will truly stay with us and care for us when difficulties hit. Stephanie, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's truly, truly an honor. I'm rather speechless at your introduction.
0: It's really powerful. (laughs)
1: Awesome. Well, Stephanie is the founder of Gospel Spice Ministries and the host of the Gospel Spice podcast, which I, I love. I love visiting her podcast and downloading and listening to it. And there she teaches in-depth Bible studies. Her personal motto is God's glory, our delight. She delights to embrace God's love ever deeper and to share this love with others. She will tell anyone who will listen, there is nothing you can do for God to love you more and nothing you can do do for him to love you less. She has lived for her one Lord over the past two decades on three continents, four countries, and five cities through six professional roles. So we maybe need to have you back to talk about just all that, all the drama and stress that comes with those kind of moves. Stephanie, I remember when we spoke, I remember you sharing how initially your childhood home, it felt pretty stable and solid, but that life outside your home wasn't exactly, wasn't so idealistic.
0: Yeah. I felt like my home was pretty solid. I was loved by my parents. And, and I think, you know, for many, what, we just know what we know. And so I think I realized later there was a lot I didn't know. And I thought, at least for me, what I knew was the norm. And so I I realized later on when I lived with another family, much when I was 17, that a lot of things were not quite as thought as good as I thought they were, even at the time when I thought I had a stable childhood. But then at school, things were rough, starting literally in kindergarten. So I was four, maybe four, probably four, just really having a lot of bullying. And it continued all the way to basically high school where I was bullied a lot and I was always the ugly duckling. I was, and I was so desperately trying to fit in, which is not necessarily the best strategy. And so it created in me a deep fear of not belonging, of not being acceptable, not being lovable the way I was. And so to put on a mask, to try to be acceptable, but again, kids pick up on that. And so it didn't really work. So a lot of loneliness as a kid, not really fun.
1: So how did you deal with, At the time, how did you deal with the bullying? Did you have anybody you could turn to or you kind of process through it with?
0: Not really. So I would try initially as a kid to tell my mom. And so she would give her advice and not necessarily advice that would fit me because she and I have very different personalities so I think she would maybe do what would fit her but just didn't really work for me and so and my mom having a big focus on appearances she was trying to make me fit in through appearances which
1: was aspirated probably
0: right and it was a very broken solution and so it really just was painful I had some issues as a kid that like some physical problems that I think were linked to just this deep anxiety I had that, you know, going to school was just really, really hard. And I think at home, because at home things were going well, we had a very performance-based culture at home. And so as long as you were performing well, you were loved and accepted. And so I think i that's the culture I took to school. And so my drive became on being very performance oriented. And so my focus was on the grades and trying to not think too much about the relationship issues. But um, it was very lonely. And so I think it has given me a very deeply ingrained fear of being alone and lonely. Actually, it's interesting in French, which is my native tongue. I learned English much later in life. The words lonely and alone there's only one word in French so there's no such thing as being alone without being lonely in the French culture which I find fascinating because there is such a thing right it is totally possible to be alone without being lonely but for my deeply extroverted mother and me I'm more I'm more on the middle of the spectrum I didn't understand that I could be all alone without being lonely and that's where the bullying just became very difficult to handle as i got older i
1: can imagine too that's a core need to belong and to connect human connection so if you have that hole you're not going to necessarily be okay. And what was your relationship like? Did you have a relationship with God during that time? Oh my goodness, no,
0: not at all. He was, not only was he not part of the picture, but my father was very much against God. So he was a very devout, self-proclaimed atheist, if you will. And he was so angry against a God that he didn't think existed. You know, it was a typical syndrome of being so mad at God. And so for me, no, absolutely no, no, spiritual figure whatsoever
1: so when you were alone you were actually really really truly alone yes or so i thought yeah Yeah. well you're right right like you didn't have that connection to kind Mm -hmm. of as a as a support Mm
0: -hmm. And that led to that self-achievement focus and that performance because i was all alone and so it depended it it was up to me i was i was i needed to be my own savior because no one else was going to come for me
1: Yeah. Well, let's, let's fast forward. So I I heard you say you thought your childhood was pretty stable and great. And then you later recognized, okay, maybe, maybe there were some issues, but let's fast forward to the time when your view really of your father was completely shattered.
0: Yes. So I was an early teen, so maybe 12 or 13 and I'm the oldest daughter of two. And then I have a brother. So my dad was, I I worshiped my dad. I just really did as a little girl. I later found out he was a deeply narcissistic person. And so he fed off the worship I gave him as a little girl. And so everything was good as long as I was behaving that way. And again, I didn't know any other way. And so my parents got divorced. I found out he had had several affairs while my parents were married, including some pretty nasty details that I got to witness. And he was a womanizer. He went bankrupt financially. He was a very, he was alcoholic very, very deeply. So a very broken man with a lot of anger. And if you weren't for him, you were against him. And so obviously we very quickly, became against him, especially when I became old enough to see through the masks and the veils a little bit more. And so I became the enemy and never more so than when I became a Christian, because for he was so angry at God and such a strong atheist, quote unquote, that that was the ultimate betrayal. And our relationship never really recovered after that. But it's another story or maybe for later today.
1: Well, I, I do think it connects. It had to be hugely like the one place where you sp- you belonged all of a sudden. I mean, that had to be such a deep, deep grief when you experienced that.
0: Yeah, especially because I thought when my parents got divorced, I thought my mom was to blame because it was easier to blame her than to blame him because I really did put him on a massive pedestal. And then when truth came forward about everything he had done, my entire world crumbled and I had to entirely rebuild even my relationship with my mom, seeing her much more as the victim than the, the guilty party, if you will. And, and I think a lot of it was it was easier for me to feel like I was the guilty party in my father rejecting me than to realize it honestly was his fault. It took me a solid decade before I was able to see that I was it was not my fault if my dad was so mean to me and others.
1: Your whole reality Was shaken. I mean, that's a big. And I, and I think you know for our listeners it most of us going
0: through the teenagers our realities are shattered in many ways because we grow into adulthood and I have two uh, we just went through you know two teenagers at home with our, our kids being in college now and I've seen them having to wrestle with their identity and who they were and so when your entire world crumbles at the time when you need the buttresses of healthy relationships it's really hard and and many listeners I think can relate to that and how the teenagers really will focalize the pain in In whatever form it may take, it may not be a fatherhood figure betrayal, but those teenagers are so crucial. And I I suspect a lot more fundamental to our experience of the Lord than we realize often. In my case, I walked into my young adult years, which is when I discovered God, with such crippling that it literally took me probably at least a solid decade or two after that to overcome the wounds from the teenagers. And I think we underestimate the power of those years. Absolutely.
1: So how, how did God really help you? You've shared... You had a a fear of that you wouldn't belong. And and it sounds like your world was just completely felt probably chaotic and unstable. So how did God help you get past those fears to a place of trust?
0: Yes. Oh, that's such a good question, Jennifer. So the story is that when right around that time, when I was 17, I came to the US as a foreign exchange student to do my senior year of high school in the States in order to learn English, among other things. And so talk about adding one more trauma to the mix, but also there was also something extremely... Extremely salvific about it because it took me out of a very toxic environment, and I was largely unaware of how toxic it was, and so and broken. And, and even if it it wasn't intentionally toxic, my mom was really trying her best. She herself was so crippled emotionally that it was very hard for her. She really, I mean, she tried her best. I there was no hint of um, meanness in her. She she was really trying her best. So, but leaving that environment and being thrown into a completely different setting, different culture, different language, different family, it really brought into focus so much of the dysfunctions that I wasn't aware of in my own family, in my own self. And so I find myself for a whole year living with an American family with whom I'm learning English. I'm going to school. I'm in 12th grade in a high school in the States. And this family happens, quote unquote, to be a very strong Christian family. They really are dedicated followers of Jesus Christ. And they are the first Christians that I meet, really, and that I obviously interact with. So in France, there's hardly any Christians. It would be really hard to find Christians in France, which is why I'm saying I really hadn't encountered any that I know of. Actually, when I went back to France, it took me several years to find a Christian community because of the scarcity at the time. Not so much now, but still. So anyway, Christian family, uh, three young kids, they have toddlers, basically, so it doesn't really make sense for have, for them to have a 16-year-old French girl. I am not an au pair. I'm just living with them for a year. There's so super generous and kind to me. And Jennifer, crazy things I got to witness, like them arguing, but then reconciling. I had never seen anything like that. Them not getting angry at their children to the point of you know yelling at them or, or maybe even beating them up in anger. Them not drinking themselves into oblivion, things that I thought were normal, I did not see in that family. Now, did they argue? Yes, but they reconciled. And again, that's the arguing, oh, I had seen plenty of that. The reconciling, not so much. And so it was so puzzling, so exotic, so different, and, and so honestly intriguing and irresistibly attractive that I was so curious that we just started having all these conversations because they were the first people whose walk really matched their talk. They weren't pretending to be any better than they were. They were just honest, flawed, vulnerable, loving people who were trying their best. And so that led us to having a lot of spiritual conversations. The At that point, I was 17 and having a lot of freedom. I abused that freedom, you know, with my deep sense of needing to belong, I did all the mistakes that a teenage girl can do when she is uh, basically on her own. And my American mom, I now call them my American mom and dad, my American mom and mom had had a very sketchy past too. And so she could relate to a lot of what I had gone through. So she would really just speak love into me. And my American dad would speak a lot of truth through spiritual conversations, philosophical worldview shattering conversations. And so little by little, they introduced me to the very idea of a God who was so different from the terrible pictures that I had been raised to believe would be of a made up God because I really didn't believe God existed. So any notion of God would necessarily be man-made, you know, the crutch for the crippled or the opiate of the people. And because I had been taught that I needed to be self-sufficient and strong in order to survive, because that was my fear. Therefore the idea of a man-made God was absolutely not attractive to me, but God was wooing me and he became irresistible, but he used my American mom and dad deeply in that way. So if you find yourself, you know, if you know someone who is in a toxic environment and where The very concept of God doesn't make sense. Show them why it makes sense to you in your setting. That is life-changing.
1: That's beautiful. One, I love too how God met In a human way, your need to belong that helped you then recognize your belonging in Christ? Absolutely.
0: Yes. Yes. I had no idea I needed God, but I knew I needed a healthy family once I had experienced them. I didn't know I needed a healthy family, but then I experienced, I tasted them, and then that was what I wanted. And then by, you know, by association, God kind of came in slowly. Actually, it's interesting because my entire life uh, and now my ministry, Gospel Spice, our motto is taste and see. And I think it has to do with that because I really believe God, the way I like to say it, and actually it was one of the things my American family and I did was all sorts of food tests. And because I'm French, I love good food. And, you know, my food culture was a little different from theirs. And so we would try fun things. And one thing they didn't really enjoy before we met was really good dark chocolate. And so I would tell them, well, you got to try it because I would describe it to them. You can describe the textures and the flavors. And I can tell you a lot about dark chocolate, but there comes a point you're going to have to take a bite because you cannot know whether you're going to enjoy really good high quality dark chocolate unless you've actually tasted it. And so it is with God. But because it's too scary sometimes, he will allow us to taste and see him through others. And what a privilege to get to see that and then to become maybe one of the ones he uses uh, for others to taste him through you.
1: I, I think it's important for our listeners To hear your story in that, especially those who maybe feel like, okay, I don't belong, or maybe fear that they're not going to belong, maybe encourage them to say, hey, look around. Maybe God is building a bridge through someone that you didn't even recognize, because I I could imagine when you were going through, you could have become so consumed with survival and your school trying to excel there, that you weren't even open to relationship. I believe that God is always reaching out to us all the time, but we sometimes miss it, miss him. Okay. I think I had stopped to trying to be relational,
0: to be completely honest with you. But again... I think God was wooing me. And so he wasn't going to let go. And and I think we need to remember that because looking back, I didn't have the framework for that at the time. But looking back at my story, and, and I want the listener to hear this, is that God has not stopped wooing you he has not stopped, you know, chasing you. I mean, Psalm 23, goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. He is following after he's, he's really, he's the hound of heaven. I mean, there's no, this is, there's a reason why he has that title. He's hounding you. He will in in the best possible way, please, of course, you know, right. Uh, And he does that unbeknownst to us. I didn't know he was doing that. There's a verse in Isaiah that says that God revealed himself to people who weren't looking for him. Yes. He showed himself, he showed his life, his light to a nation that did not even know him. That's me. I did not even know enough to look for him. But through others, he allowed me to start craving him. Uh, again, to use food analogy. So I would say, even when I had given up my desire, my, 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 craving for relationships because i it never really worked he didn't stop so- or, or at
1: least i would say probably you thought you gave up your craving mm-hmm. for relationships yes. yeah yeah but uh, that is a, a really comforting reminder that if we're like well i don't know if i can feel him i can't hear him well he's gonna he's gonna continue he's going you can trust him
2: what impacts you every day
1: I do want to discuss, though, this is often a a journey, right? It's not like we say, okay, I had this difficult past, and then I encountered these people, and then I came to faith in Christ, and then boom, all of a sudden, everything is great. Your father pulled a bait and switch on you, your earthly father, right? Mm -hmm. Were you ever thinking, well, maybe God's going to pull a bait and switch on me?
0: Oh my goodness, yes. So, I mean, honestly, I've, I've been a follower of Christ for over 30 years and I still struggle with some of those things. So absolutely, I'd love to say, you know, this is a one and done story with a big, pretty ribbon on top and it's over. Absolutely not. And actually, but, but I think there's so much beauty. I find comfort in finding that my story isn't yet fully written as opposed to finding it scary. I find it comforting because that means God has not stopped wooing me. He keeps- Amen. Yeah. He that's keeps beautiful. on doing it even in my current brokenness, which is nowhere near as bad as it used to be, but it's still here. And he hasn't stopped wooing me. He hasn't stopped chasing me. And I need to know that because I would give up on myself way before he gives up on me. And that's absolute I need to remind myself of that every not every day, but like all the time. I still struggle with the same issues of belonging or trusting him. So the initial great big earth shattering moment for me was when I had come to realization to realize that God was real and that he was really asking me whether I wanted to have a relationship with him or not. So, you know, 30 years ago, all those years ago. And my, my gut fear was that he wasn't going to be trustworthy that he was, I mean, obviously, you know, with my father figure, of course I would think that I didn't know, you know, the way I came to faith was very intellectual because again, having this big focus on intellectual achievements from a you know secular school perspective, I came to faith very intellectually at first. The problem with that is that it doesn't really cater to the issues of your heart. And specifically for me, trust. And so how do I know that God is trustworthy? Because he can be fully sovereign. He can be Fully even wanting a relationship with me. I mean, my dad wanted a relationship with me, right? And that didn't really pan out. So, how do I know God is trustworthy? Well, and again, it's like chocolate. The only way to know something is trustworthy is to lean into it. I'm sitting on a chair and I'm trusting the chair because I'm sitting in it. There's experience in that. And so, you can't start, you can't trust God until you actually start trusting Him, which is so difficult for someone who struggles with that so much. And so, I have the most pathetic uh, conversion story, if you will, in a way. But again, it shows, you know, I wish there was this big light bulb moment and and that's it. That's the end of the story. But no, what I told God was, I I don't trust you. I know you're real, but I, I honestly don't trust you. Sorry. So, but I also understand, I can't just ignore you simply because I have trust issues. I'm like, I need to do something here. Like, come on. It's a, you know, so I told God, okay, for one week, And there's a measure of arrogance in that as well, but I was 17. So for one week, God, I'm going to choose to trust you. I'm going to set aside my fear as best as I know how, and I'm going to sit on the chair of you. You know, I'm going to see if the chair holds, I'm going to see how it feels. I'm going to taste the chocolate, but if I don't like it at the end of the week, I'm going to spit it out. I'm going to get up from the chair and go away, but it would not have been fair to not give him a chance in that sense. That was kind of my thinking. Okay. so. Jennifer, like the moment I said, I told the Lord, I trust you for a week. I just cannot describe the feeling of peace that came over me. And it was a feeling that was so foreign. I don't think my life was characterized by peace, but that peace was the first mouth-watering aroma from the chocolate. And that whole week, I remember just being so much at peace and so giddy with joy that I didn't have to come up with reasons not to trust. And so I was telling the story to a friend a few years later, and she asked the obvious question, what happened at the end of the week? And I looked at her and I went, I I never thought that the week was up. By then I had an eaten enough of the chocolate that there was no going back but the trust issues continued i mean i still it, it still is something that i have to be careful with and there's been several elements you know with all the moves we did like we've had to learn god's faithfulness and and learn to trust him and and also realize again the fact that this says so much about how gentlemanly he is the fact that he would accept my pathetic terms of a week You know, like who does that except such a loving God who is so meek and humble and gentle, but also so secure in his own identity that he doesn't mind the immature, almost pettiness of someone who is not able to trust, but is trying. And so I think it just tells me so much about his goodness and his kindness. The fact that we are both, you know, dust, made of dust, but also the breath of God at the same
1: time, I feel that very acutely. I also think when God first introduced himself, Moses, from the Old Testament, he said, hey, tell me who you are, basically. And God said, I am abounding in love and compassion. And when I hear your story, I can just imagine God saying, well, I saw it differently because I saw your woundedness. I understood where the distrust came from. And I want to say that to our listeners because we all have triggers and insecurities and fears and places of doubt. And it can feel like, why don't we do better, right? Like I've been with God for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. I should be so further along. And I loved how your story really reminds us as of his father's heart. A good father. A perfect father's oh, absolutely. heart.
0: It's it's one of my favorite terms for him today, his father. His one of my favorite expressions is his tender fatherliness. And that is so precious to me because that shows me the depth of the healing he has done in my heart. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that I'm able to truly say, and it it took me honestly, like several, probably twenty years after what I'm describing to you to get to a place where I could genuinely believe his love for me, his tender fatherliness over me. So it is a process. And so when you're, you know, listening to this, please hear that God is so patiently crafting you into the beautiful son and daughter that he already knows you to be. And I know that, you know, becoming what we already are has become such a cliche. But it's actually true. He is turning you into who you already are, who he already knows you to be. And the thing is that we usually want to hasten the process, but he's slow. If anything, spiritual growth is the slowest process in the universe. Agonizingly slow, but he knows what he's doing. And part of the trust is actually to be okay with the slowness of the process. Because if if I'm fighting the process and I want it to go faster that shows deep down I'm still not fully trusting which again is an invitation because I love it when God shows me an area where I'm not trusting him because that means I'm going to at some point that means there's hope So actually, when he shows me something or when he shows me an area of my life that isn't the way he crafted me to be, I get excited because that shows me he's going to bring in the change for the better. So it's almost good news at this point.
1: Right. Because he never he never reveals something to shame us. Right. Oh, my goodness.
0: No. mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: He's always bringing us towards increased freedom. Well, I'd like to close with tell us what do you do? So you said you still struggle right? Oh, and, you yeah. still, and you still wrestle with doubt and those things. So what do you hold tight to when you're in that place?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I said, you know, his tender
0: fatherliness. I think I value truth greatly and, and I'm wired to love truth. And so love is something, you know, truth and love, right? So it's just a balance between the two. But one thing I do is that I learn to trust God at face value in his promises in scripture. And again, because my earthly father would always speak from the two from two sides of his mouth which is a very english expression by the way it's a very weird expression (laughs) um, for a non-native it's just one of my god my father would do that Our God does not do that. He does not speak from both sides of his mouth, which means that his promises are actually trustworthy. And so it's it's learning to actually believe them, but not just head believe, but truly like I'm chewing on them. I'm eating the chocolate. I'm digesting his promises. And I know that they're for me. And I ask him to make sure I, I really... I ask him, that's the thing. I think it's the key. I do not try to do this in my own strength. I do not try to believe his promises on my own strength anymore. I do not try to make myself trust anymore. That doesn't work. I ask him to make me trust. He's the one who directs my heart. He's the one who's able to shape my heart and to bring me through situations that are going to make me trust him more, which is what I want. If I realize there's a promise I don't believe, there's something about a promise about myself, a promise about anything at all, that Deep down, you know, "Mm, I say I believe it, but let's be honest, I don't. Or I believe it in my head, but I don't actually believe it in my heart. What I'll do is that I'll ask him. I say, Lord, I believe this or I don't, but I believe this partially or in my head, not in my heart. Would you please, would you please give me the privilege to make me believe that? And, And he does. When we come to him and he initiates the process, it always
1: works that's awesome well and now that you have us all thinking about chocolate which there is one of so I think I shared with you my husband and I we had a long drive and so we were listening to a few of your episodes and you had one about a it's like a bun with chocolate in it and my husband like that was his thing he's like when you started talking about this food dessert thing he was all in so to (laughs) our listeners I rec I recommend you go to her site she's got some great she is a bible scholar she does her work very both I love Stephanie your truth and grace married together, which is is really beautiful. So gospel spice, and we're going to actually put all her information in our show notes. So make sure to go check it out. Stephanie, thank you so much for being with us today.
0: Thank you, Jennifer. It's an honor. I love what you do. You, You are used of the Lord to bring so many people into the freedom of his love for them. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you. Well, thank you for listening. If you haven't already done so, I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. Then you won't miss a single episode. Share it with your friends. And until next time, may you live as one who truly has been set free. Need
2: more of God's power in your life? I'm Christina Patterson, host of the Teach Us to Pray podcast, providing practical tips on how to grow your faith through prayer. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.